0: Iconic management thought leader Tom Peters is intellectually irritated and still in search of excellence. Join us for episode 16 of the Happy Space podcast for delightful commentary on the power of women and the end of the three martini lunch. Welcome to the Happy Space podcast where we talk about designing inclusive performance through the lens of a highly sensitive productivity catalyst. Uh, That's me, executive coach, speaker, and brand collaborator, Claire Kumar. Join conversations with authors, culture shapers, space designers, and creators of products, services, and customer experience as we highlight astonishing contributions tempting a more tender world. We know that diversity leads to richer results, so let's accept that productivity is personal and commit to designing with respect for humanity. I aim to leave you with ideas to better support your family, colleagues, customers, community, and not least of all, yourself. For everyone, including you, deserves a happy space. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Happy Space Podcast. This episode brought me uh, extreme joy and a lot of excitement, actually, for the interview. If you know Tom Peters, you'll know why. He's someone who speaks his mind, as I do. And for a long time, him longer than me, he has been advocating for, and if you can see the us on YouTube right now, I'm holding up his latest book, Extreme Humanism. This is, uh, I'm showing Tom Peters' Compact Guide to Excellence and uh, it's based and inspired on his work of the past 45 years, but particularly on the concept of extreme humanism. And it's, it's an amazing read. Um, it doesn't take long to read. It's designed to be read in about an hour, which suits most of our attention spans these days. But it's not a light book. It's full of profound concepts. And Tom and I get into a discussion talking about those. We talk about sensitivity. We talk about inclusive, inclusivity. We talk about the power of, of female leaders. Uh, there's so much that we uncover in this conversation that I'm going to invite you to jump right in. And for sure, reach out to Tom on Twitter. He and I both are still there. And uh, being a voice for humanity in a place that perhaps needs a little more. So come and join us there and, and let us know if you saw the, this episode or you took a listen. And also uh, write a review, share some love for the Happy Space podcast and that will encourage other people to find it as well. Okay, without further ado, I bring you the incredible Tom Peters. Today's episode of the Happy Space podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. With sensitivity, curiosity, and courage, I serve 3 groups asking the tough questions that lead to meaningful answers. Number 1, I coach ambitious leaders to design for well-being and achieve next-level work-life integration. Number 2, I mic drop thought bombs. That's bombs as in B A L M S in keynotes and workshops, helping organizations achieve the business imperative that is inclusivity. And three, I collaborate with brands concerned with respect for well-being on product design, marketing, and PR. If any of this piqued your interest, come find me at clairekumar.com. I'd love to speak with you. Designing inclusive performance together will lead to the richest results. I've been incubating in Tom Peters' podcast interviews um, for the past few days. So I feel like we've been chatting for hours already.
1: (laughs) Well, I, yeah, but, and also I get to interview. I'm totally fascinated by what you're up to and what you're doing. So, you know, you're not, you're not the only one, I guess, to ask the questions.
0: Okay, deal, deal, absolutely. So I wanted to start actually with a big line of curiosity for me when I read the Tom Peters compact Guide to excellence. My jaw fell open when you wrote about Susan Cain's book, quiet being the best business book of this century so far. Right. And I, your revelation that you may have been dismissing this quiet population and their big value in the business world. It's interesting because I'm reading another book that's coming out very shortly. And in that book, it talks about how Elaine Aaron, who's the psychologist who really identified the trait in the late 90s, thinks that Susan Cain's book is actually about sensitive or highly sensitive people even more than introverts. So along that line of questioning, I'm curious about sensitivity and Tom Peters and if it's shown up in your life. If so, how, and what you think about this trait now and how valuable it is today?
1: Well, I'm not a professional psychologist. I'm reasonably well-trained, but I couldn't call myself that. I think in my amateur way that the sensitivity and the quiet, I would think you would find them on the same street as it were. Uh, I have a thing going with Susan, and then, which is really great. I've seen her a couple of times and I said, Susan, did you really have to call me a total idiot, jerk, and blind fool so clearly in such clear language? And, and the wonderful thing was, I, uh, I don't know, for a few days after I read the book or something like that, I spoke to the leadership of a semiconductor manufacturing company. And I more or less started. I said, do you idiots realize that you are missing 50%, 50% of the workforce and the 50% that are arguably the best 50%? But, uh, and, and so I've had a lot of fun with it, basically. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure, and you know this better professionally than I do, that you could define sensitivity, thoughtfulness. I mean, the kind of things that I remember from Susan's book and other places is we do a group assignment to come up with some ideas and give them 20 minutes and they report. The extroverts came up with, 23 ideas and basically paid no attention to any of the 23 the introverts came up with or the sensitive ones whichever term you want to use came up with four ideas and actually chewed them around and passed them back and forth and polished them a little bit and uh, but my main thing was just how sad tragic and stupid it is that we really have is there the stuff i mean for god's sakes Extroverts are considered more physically attractive, more intelligent, all those things, just because they never shut their damn mouths. And, and someone who makes a living not shutting his damn mouth, I'm very sim- empathetic sympathetic to that. But I, no, I just, I, it, you know, it's seldom, particularly if you're 100 years old as I am, when you run into a book like Susan's, which is just dramatically different than anything you've seen before. I mean, I've seen it in psych articles and social psych articles and so on, but to be really slapped in the face with a book with a, and she's written the new book and the new book is wonderful, but I, I, just, love, I just love, and I have said it's so, the, you know, now we have another year, 2023. It's still the best damn management book or business book of the century to date.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I have to advocate a little bit for the extroverts out there because I consider myself an extrovert. And like you, I love getting into rich conversation. What I think is interesting, if we look at sensitivity, it's 70% introverted, 30% extroverted. And the reason I'm bringing sensitivity up and I'm really curious about your thoughts is because I think this might be where a lot of value lies, whether you're introverted or extroverted, because of the sensitive mind and the traits that show up. It's in a hundred different species of animals And it's, there's, you, you mentioned actually in your book, COVID-19 leadership skills, and you list seven of them. The last one you list is the ability to walk in the other person's shoes. That's a key trait of highly sensitive people. So I'm, I'm noticing empathy as a through line in your approach to work and approach to business and putting not just people first, as I saw you put on Twitter out a couple of days ago, that you no longer want to say people are first. It's people are everything. People are the organization. This, to me, and this is why I think, I think Tom Peters, you're highly sensitive. I'm going <laughs> to go out of limb. I think you are. And I think that empathy um, being highlighted as one of the COVID 19 leadership skills is absolutely critical. I'm curious about this list of skills and empathy in particular. And gosh, you listed seven seven different ways of being. Are there any that we don't need to carry forward? Was it just for COVID-19 or is this really the way we need to show up?
1: This is the way we need to do it 24 hours, you know, 24 uh, seven. I, when the pandemic started, my wife who originally started out as a tapestry weaver was you know she and her friends were putting together masks in a mask-free world yeah. and i was sitting around saying you know twiddling my thumbs as they said and so i had this this arrogant flash of arrogance and i said to Wynette and her colleague Shelley, i know this is arrogant but why don't you call up the people we've done podcasts with and tell them that i would like to talk about leadership in the times of the pandemic So it was just, you know, it was a wild card, tossed in. And, you know, I think we ended up doing 50 of them or something like that, which was was really great fun. But on your sensitivity thing again, and you said you thought I might be sensitive, which I think is true. I passed Susan's introvert scale with flying colors. Mm -hmm. You know, my single most significant indicator, and, you know, this is trivial at some level, is I'm the kind of person who goes to a cocktail party, not that I go to many cocktail parties and I find an old friend or a new friend in the corner and we talk for the next hour Mm. and we don't do it often. We occasionally have parties like that at home and Susan will come over to me at some point and say, you know, this is our party. You are supposed to be talking to people, you know, get away from Claire and join the world. And You know, so... You know, I'm I'm definitely, and people can't believe it, but but I've read, and this is all this is fabulous. We talk about this for hours. That a lot of actresses and actors have that sensibility, and what I'm going to say now is incredibly arrogant, for which I apologize in advance. I am a very good speaker. And I honestly believe that 99% of that is my ability to read slash emphasize with an audience. You know, I, I, it exhausts, it's exhausting. You know, you've got 500 people in a room and I'm literally watching. I had, I had somebody, I gave a speech in uh, Washington, DC, and the person who was handling me behind stage had been, a, had been a, had handled Bill Clinton on many occasions. And he said, let me tell you about President Clinton. President Clinton is sitting at a long table, a senator here, a governor there. The speeches or the program is over. He races out of his seat and runs up to the 53rd row. And he wants to understand why Claire wasn't smiling during the speech. I love that example because it's just what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. The the high sensitive trait comes with a whole pile of mirror neurons, which are enable us to build rapport really quickly. And we're just, we're, I, I used to call myself the cheap noticer because that's, yeah. that's what I'm doing. And there as a speaker too. I'm looking for that energy in the room. I'm looking for what's landing. And I'll tell you cameras off and presenting on zoom without some kind of feedback is probably the hardest thing um, that I'll ever do.
1: Well, I've been pleased and I suspect you would uh, concur with this. Because when all this started, I didn't really think you could convey the same level of energy and emotion in a Zoom conversation that I could, if I was standing four feet away from you and I'm wrong. I mean, my my wife says, when I finish a 45 minute or hour Zoom, I look exactly as exhausted as I did. When I was on a stage talking to a thousand people, you know, you yeah. give everything you possibly have uh, emotionally, and it, I don't want to say it works, but it it it's done. It. We're having this conversation is a fabulous conversation. I don't think we're losing a lot that we would have if we were standing physically face to face.
0: Agree, agree. It's opened up things for me as a coach. My last last clients came from Germany, from from L.A., from New York, so. It's, I think the boundaries are gone if we can. Well, one of the things I talk about a lot is parking our own bias for convenience. I think leaders have a big quest for convenience, and there's this tension now, right, between leaders and the workforce. Workforce is saying, you know, about a third of people want to stay working uh, or want this hybrid kind of thing, some in the office, some at home. Small percentage of people want to be in the office the whole time, and easily a third want to be at home. So we have this tension. And well, one
1: thing does concern yes. me mm-hmm. a little bit, and I haven't studied it or done any research, but there's a lot to say for chance meetings in the hall. Mm-hmm. And I was working with, a, with an architectural company that I was doing a public television show on, and they had just rebuilt their offices. <laughs> they, had put, they had put big, comfy chairs in front of the restrooms because they think be, your ex comes out of the restroom and Y does. And so we sit down and chat with each other and to you know to to really put that in context is there was this guy who wrote columns for fortune magazine 100 years ago david Bing, and for one i remember is he said the death of the three martini lunch will be the end of innovation you know it's after the third martini is when you say the really but but so that part concerns me a little bit you know not the martinis but the you know the crazy chance chance hallway stuff is, can be really, you know, and, and particularly, and this is not a position I've been in and, and you probably have more than me, particularly for the leader, and you can do this a little bit on zoom, mm-hmm. but the meeting is over. And Claire, who is a big contributor has just been quiet all morning mm-hmm. and for nothing for any reason other than affection more than professionality, I'll walk out of the meeting and you, you will be next to me and I, I'll say, you know, you are pretty quiet this morning. Is, mm-hmm. is everything cool? Mm-hmm. Now that's hard to do on Zoom. And I, I think that's a pretty big deal.
0: I do. I, and I'm thinking about managing by wandering around and transferring it to manage, managing by Zooming around. Yeah. There's an intentionality around it that I, I don't think we've been able to recreate so easily, but there are new apps I was just reading, there are a bunch, I think maybe even 45 companies that are starting to say, wait a minute, we need to facilitate this random connection. So it'll be interesting to see what technology does to kind of meet that because, I mean, I've had C-suite clients move out of Toronto and are now three hours. They're not coming in every day anymore. So if we've seen that shift, then I think the invitation is to figure out how do we get some of that back? and not have this tension. I think one of the things I've been inviting leaders to do, and I'd be curious your thoughts on it, I, I talk a lot about expanding inclusivity. So beyond the the obvious to ex, you know, expanding inclusivity for the neurodivergent mind. So someone that needs to focus differently for sensitivity, for caregiving, for all of the myriad of things, for menopause, <laughs> all of these things that need to be considered but maybe aren't. And what I've been inviting leaders to do is acknowledge the ask. So there was an assumption that women would do everything to get all ready, right. makeup, hair, decisions, 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 the commute, the caregiving, all of it. We assumed that that was okay. And was it necessary for the great return on investment of, of work? So, so what do you think about this invitation for leaders now to say, who? Oh, let me think about what I'm asking of my employees before I mandate three days back in the office or five days back in the office. What, what are we asking?
1: Well, I could give you a two-hour answer to that. Uh, one of my big biases, hang-ups, irritations is a lot of what you're talking about artists ought to start in the professional schools. It should be part of the MBA. It should be part in particular of the MD because doctors are often the worst. It should be part of law school. For God's sakes, I have no idea about Toronto and Canada, but in education schools in the United States, they don't teach you how to teach. Mm. You know, and, and that's a gross exaggeration and I'm being unfair. But, you know, I think I, I think we can start that sensitivity a lot earlier than waiting for, like, I want you to have a great business before you get to later and calling in a coach. yeah, you because know, i I wrote a piece in The Financial Times, which people to say got me in a lot of trouble, which of course, was my point. And I said we ought to shut down all of the business schools, and part of it is precisely that reason. You know when the kids come to business school, they want the finance courses, they want the marketing courses and you know, there's an organizational behavior course, which turned me on, but they try to avoid it. And I was that way as an engineer. I was originally trained as an engineer. We had to take a history course and we had to take an English course. And the engineer said, oh, shit, I got to go do that history thing again, which was, and I'm not sure how I would have, would have, would have broken the hold, but I want to start it a lot, I want to start it a lot, lot sooner. The coach who has to come in with the 43 year old, I want, I want to get it into the heads of the, as I said, specifically and particularly the, the professional schools, I'm having virtually no success. Uh, Um, but I can at least scream at the wall or scream at the mirror or, or what have you, because I so totally agree with you. You know, good God, all the things that are your professional passions. I didn't know one. I didn't even have the language. Yeah. I didn't even have the language. Uh, and I did take a fair amount of well, I did because I my PhD is in organizational behavior, so I took a lot of social psych and so on. But it wasn't that it wasn't there either. The kinds of sensitivities you're talking about now, admittedly, that was a few years ago, and we weren't as tuned in uh, to those sorts of issues as I hope and think maybe a little bit we are today.
0: Well, I think it's definitely changing, and I mean, I'm seeing a greater sensibility in the younger generation. I've got two kids in business school right now so i'm I'm sure they're gonna be really thrilled to share this interview with their classmates uh but i I sense that there's more there's a greater awakening to being care- careful and caring for each other, and also in the pandemic, I think. What I saw with, you know, I have friends who are both C, C-suite level in companies, and they were exchanging keys at the airport and you know, running around the world, flying everywhere. They told me, gosh, it was really wonderful to sit with my kids and have dinner again. And so yeah. we've had this sort of re- understanding again about the richness of life. And I think we know we see millennials are like, yo, uh, I care about experience, and maybe I don't want to have the same vision. This is what I yeah. what I saw when I had a 15 year in the corporate world career, and I would look up and I said, I don't want that quality of life. I, I there's yeah. more to life, right? And so it's interesting. I didn't have the language either. I I learned about high sensitivity, after. I negotiated, negotiated my way out of the corporate world because this is kind of funny. I worked for a tech firm, selling the technology to enable working from home. I had proven I could work from home. I've done it for 20 years in different, different roles. And I was forbidden to continue working for, from home for that company, even though my job was 90% over the telephone. I did all the analysis by task, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. No, no surprise. One thing we haven't talked about Particularly in this conversation is important. Is one of the best secrets to this thing is promote more women. There is a genetic proclivity. I believe you can tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, the the one The ones I read a wonderful book that was called The Female Brain, written by a woman by the name of Luann Brizantine, who was a neuropsychiatrist at the University of uh, California, San Francisco. And the one thing that it was a wonderful book that sticks in my mind was by the age of three days after birth, baby girls are making four times more eye contact with their fellow human beings than baby boys. And you know, and we, we, I mean, we've gotten it all wrong, for God's sakes. So I'm just, you know, reading a book now that's called Survival of the Friendliness. And we got Darwin all wrong. You know, Darwin never said survival of the fittest. He said survival of the most, the most fulsome communities, but I really want to stick with the other one. There's, you know, and you can see it in, well, I had an experience in 1996. I had a training company and the woman who was president of my training company. This is out in Palo Alto. She said, Tom, you're coming to a meeting in Boston in the middle of next week. And I said, okay, Heather, whatever you say. And she said, it's a group of women that I have got." And they are going to talk to you about what life is like if you are a woman in the corporate world. And so she had gathered this incredible group. There was a, uh, uh, women's, maybe women's fashion thing called domain Home fashions. And Judy George, who started, it was there. So what was, it was works. What was the drive a race car in the Indy 500 was there. And they just, you know, to use crude language, they just gave me shit for three hours in a row. And it was one of the best days of my life, but I. You know, I quote research by my old and now unfortunately turned some wrong pants, McKinsey a company that said the number one thing you do if you want to improve performance is promote more women. So I really think the gender thing is a huge part of it. And we are certainly at the less worse point on the scale. But I think the number I saw a few weeks ago that I don't remember exactly, but Fifty one women are CEOs of the Fortune five hundred, which is about fifty better than it was twenty five years ago, but it's still a pretty pathetic number in uh, you know, 2023 20, 20, is where now in. So that's huge. I I believe that gender stuff just you know, you you'll you will never knock that out of me and I love to give men shit about it all the time.
0: I I love that. I love that point. And I believe I have that book on my bookshelf <laughs> in the living room also. So that yeah, great one. I'm I'm really curious about your persistence in this conversation. I know CNN said that you're reinventing yourself and you're like, no, I'm not. I'm, t- I'm still trying to have the same conversation. My through line of conversations I was provoking that no one asked me to have in my career have always been about inviting greater respect for humanity, whether it was I saw people wearing carpal tunnel braces. And I went, why? This is avoidable. Um, And talking to lobbying the COO of our um, high tech firm saying, you know, I'm seeing moms working nine to five and then working nine to midnight. And I'm seeing them exhausted. What are we doing? And this is in in the early 2000s. What are we doing about reduced work weeks? What are we doing about workplace flexibility? What are we doing to invite the autonomy that thinkers need to be able to manage it all, to be able to still be rich contributors? Um, And I seem to want to bang my head against the wall, but I feel like we're in a moment where people are starting to get it. What's your sense of where we are and your your 45-year mission of talking about this stuff?
1: I wish I could give an easy answer. I would give us a grade of a little bit less worse, but I'm afraid if we, which you've referred to many times in this conversation, if we talked about those top 10 or 15 execs in a big business, uh, it's changed, but not enough. One thing that's really critical to this, and again, I, I beat myself over the head as hard as I can because I was so whatever, stupid or what have you. Uh, I hate the term management guru, which incidentally was invented by The Economist magazine. Uh, but if there is a group of people who are management gurus, our greatest failing is we focused on the Fortune 500 and the FTSE 100. The reality in the United States, and I suspect the Canadian numbers are pretty much the same, is 7 or 8% of us work for the Fortune 500, and 90% of us don't. And the wonderful news, I think, relative to what you and I are talking about, is there are hundreds of thousands in Canada and millions in the United States of small to mid-sized businesses that do get this stuff. And I don't just mean the one-person proprietary proprietorship, which is fine. But I'm talking about 10-person, 20-person, 30-person companies. They're the, you know, in a funny way, they're the raw meat I'd like to be going after. I'm not sure I am making those connections, but they are much more malleable. And I think if you are running you know, a 20-person company and back to your earlier life, and you're a techie, and I sit down with somebody like you, and I'm a 29-year-old or 31-year-old techie. Running a fifteen-person company, I think you can make some real inroads with me. I'm not sure you can do much with that chief operating officer of the gajillion-dollar company. You and I can try, but I'm not. I'm not going to bet on us. But I will bet on us statistically, at least. You know, I, I I said to somebody one time, if Tony Robbins goes into a room and speaks to a thousand people, he expects to change a thousand lives. If I go into a room with a thousand people and two people come out determined to do something different significantly differently i think i've had a hell of a good day so i really i really want to focus on the smaller smaller companies which is not to say that you don't but you know i'm mainly just screaming at myself about my failure to do so for so many years and to you know act as if the world were those big guys i worked at McKinsey for god's sakes that's how they made their money
0: yeah yeah McKinsey is a whole other conversation um but what's interesting is I've been giving a leadership workshop for the all throughout the pandemic to accountants. So it's through an accounting association here in Ontario. And what's been wonderful about that it's been new managers, people who are in marketing, um, retired people, and C-suite. So it's been across industries, and it's been wonderful to hear the different voices. You know, I've been asking based on some McKinsey and McKinsey article actually about for leadership quality. So I'm thinking there's probably some movement and, you know, there's probably some minds that have shifted there. And I've turned it into an acronym, AVEC, which if you speak French, you know, means with, and you take awareness, vulnerability, empathy, and compassion as key leadership mindsets and ways to be now. I've been having workshops and in every one, I've been asking people, so what are you seeing as examples of leaders who are stepping into this? Some calls, not going to lie. It's complete silence. There's like nothing. And on other calls, people have said, oh, I've had people crying in my office on the regular every week um, for the past months." And so I'm sensing there's a shift there. And, yeah. you know, and I think maybe Mackenzie is getting it. There's, 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 you know, less worse as, a, as, as it speaks to opportunity. How do you keep your fire and drive. I mean, I've been at this same conversation banging my head for about 30 years and, and you've been here for a long time. Is there anything that fuels you? Is it, is it the small wins and going, I got somebody well, today? small
1: wins and just kind of an intellectual irritation. I've mm-hmm. said to people, if you want to understand everything I've written, you have got to show me, and I've got two engineering degrees and two business degrees, you've got to show me a sign certificate of completion from the third grade there is nothing that is required relative to what you and i are talking about you know that it's not it's not it isn't very complicated i you know i i would argue which is not necessarily happy for me but i am just so pissed off that the message is so obvious and so straightforward and that for some reason despite my best efforts and two million miles of frequent fire miles i have it gotten there yet. I just got to tell you one little story, which it's not a digression, but it, and I'm considering a memoir and my first draft I wrote about this. So I give a lot of speeches, mostly in person until the pandemic and work for a speakers bureau called the Washington Speakers Bureau. And they're pretty much the pick of the litter. Uh, The CEO is a woman by the name of Christine Farrell. I go down even when I'm not talking or used to and just check in, every few months or something like that. And I was talking to somebody outside Christine's office or in the hallway. And they said, let me take you, you, if you want to understand Christine, this woman who was not part of this this particular interaction, she said, I went into Christine's office and there was someone who Christine had just laid off, hugging Christine and saying, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. But you know, when the de facto fired person mm-hmm. is comforting the person who fired them, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you w- wouldn't, we all love to see a jillion times more of that, but I ask myself a question you just asked me every morning when I wake up, you know, for God's sake, you're a hundred years old now. Uh, why do you think this one day will make a difference and. It won't hit the in a big way, but you do, you know, just do your best. Keep trying. The message is clear. The message is simple. The message is powerful. Uh You know, stay away from the extroverts, go for the introverts. That's how we <laughs> started this. That'd be a good starting point. Go for the quiet ones. Yeah.
0: Go for the sensitive ones is what is where I'm I'm sensitive hoping ones, we'll, yeah, end up, yeah, will, we'll end up. Yeah. We'll end up
1: with that. I will. Alter my linguistic expression to never say quiet and say quiet and sensitive. I promise you.
0: Oh, love it. Thank you. Thank you. That's a gift. Um, The last question I have for you is really around, and this was in your book too. um, You mentioned there's a long list of things you mentioned to do. And with every one, you say it takes time. We need patience. We need to slow down. Yet we're in a culture that. Louds faster is better. Louder is better. Oh my gosh. Um, how many leaders find slowing down a tolerable idea?
1: I think that's a very good question. You know, I quoted in the book uh, an Israeli by the name of Dov Froman, right. uh, who wrote a leadership book he ran a big part of intel brilliantly and he said a lot of wonderful things but the one i remember most was he said every leader should have 50 percent free time on her or his calendar because what you are paid for are the things that go wrong or the extra time you want to take and you know talk about you know whistling into the wind that's not going to happen and when i talk about it in, in speeches and stuff, I said, I know you're not going to get the Dr. Froman's point, but could you give me 15% please? Uh, so Mm -hmm. the, the slow down. Well, I, you know, one thing we haven't said using the exact words, arguably inarguably, in my opinion, the two most important decisions made in business are hiring and promoting without any question and someone whose name I don't remember wrote a wonderful book a couple of years ago and it was an entire book about hiring and either it was in his subtitle or in the first sentence in which he said it is the most important thing we do and the thing at which we are the least well trained." Hmm. and I feel the same thing is true you know on on the promotion thing you know, it's that old one-liner. If you want somebody great to read the sa- lead the sales department, don't hire the best salesperson. You know, mm-hmm. you want somebody with a little different characteristics, but yeah. uh, yes, everything is about speed, 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 and all winning in every business in every activity in life is about relationships, 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 mm-hmm. and relationships are inversely proportional to speed, period. Whether it's your kid, whether yeah. it's your spouse, whether it's your aunt Mary, your uncle Frank, uh, or the employees who work for you, so I don't know what to do other than get a sledgehammer and pound people over the head to tell them to slow down. But there's, there's I mean, it's a, it's a no issue, it's a no issue thing, and uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge. And, 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 I was, again, it's like yeah. all these things; it's so troublesome to me because it's so easy, so straightforward. And to me, and I think you, so obvious is what's, what's wrong with us, Claire? Why haven't we gotten this through to you, you're ten, more tens of millions of people?
0: It's so funny. I was in my bank, which is just across the street from me, uh, or last week. And there was a new teller and a more experienced manager and the teller need to get some help from the manager who was sitting at another computer. She kept working. While he was asking her a question, she wouldn't. She didn't even stop to look at him. And you know, he was sort of checking in, "Am I being heard?" She's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah." Mm-hmm. Like, this is so broken. It made him yeah. feel uncertain. It made me feel like, "What are you doing?" It, yeah. and, so, and 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 I feel like I will go and find her and just have a chat and let her know that what that did to the client in that yeah. moment, right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's about these small moments of noticing and in some way not, you know, we've we've all been guilty of being distracted of and course. not as present as we need to be. But I think it's, it's conversation by conversation. Maybe that's why I like speaking on a big stage and doing one-on-one coaching because I really get that. It's like at, at a cocktail party, I get that deep conversation and yeah. real intellectual challenge all in the same thing. So uh, this has been a a delight I've been excited about this ever since I reached out to you on Twitter months ago so thanks for your thanks for your invitation to to set up this time to talk I'm very excited to share with the world that Tom Peters is a highly sensitive guy
1: <laughs> I appreciate that I appreciate that I can use a little less of that sensitivity sometimes I will and I'm sure you would agree there are times when you're you know, I, I said to somebody, I'm so sensitive to what's going on that I'm always overloaded.
0: Yeah, we have strengths and struggles. And the first episode of the podcast, I kind of break down how I've redesigned Dr. Aaron's model. And I, I call it a seed model. And I look at the strength and struggle of each of four different traits because we've got much to celebrate. But boy, do we really need to take care of ourselves? We need to protect our hearts and souls. As we, as we go to venture to do this great work. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And to give one last message, which probably will be helpful to one-eighth of one percent. And the way I used to do it was booze. And I stopped in 2005 and haven't had a drink for 17 years. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying it to the one-eighth of one percent who will watch us or listen to us. It can be done.
0: Right. Hooray. Hooray. Thank you so much, Tom, for spending time with me and our listeners out there. Listeners, um, you know this was gold. If you want to find more about Tom, check out tompeters.com. Talk to him on Twitter. Elon hasn't broken it down for us completely yet. We're still there. So let's yeah. hope let's hope that continues because honestly, I have found it a way to reach out to inspiring people like you and and connect. So I'm hoping that the value no, I
1: agree. And a good friend right. of mine just told me, don't quit. Yeah. Because I want to quit because I think it's so inappropriate. He said, if you quit, you're giving Elon a win. So let's stay there.
0: Let's stay there and rail and be the voice of uh, respect for humanity. Yeah.
1: I'll keep hanging out with you there.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Take good care, Tom. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. That is also where you'll find a link to our online community. Please leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. And if you liked what you heard, please share. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space?